Since graduating school, I have not worked at a place that I did not want to be at. It's My wife tells me that every place I've ever been, I always said I was going to retire at, which is funny because now it's like four or five places later. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangen, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, the host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm excited to have Michael Kushner. He's the president at Infinity Energy Services. And I'm excited. We've been actually spending a long time to try to get Michael on the podcast. Infinity Energy Services is an innovative, full-service solar contractor based in New Jersey, dedicated to providing their customers with the best and cutting-edge solar solutions in order to achieve their sustainable energy goals. From development, energy to commissioning, and from installation to long-term operations and maintenance. Infinity's experienced team of solar professionals offer the complete range of services required to take commercial, industrial, and municipal clients from initial concept to fully energized photovoltaic systems. They were rated as one of the top solar contractors in 2008, 10th in New Jersey, 14th overall in the country and 50th in the country for commercial sector. It's great to have Michael on the podcast. He has more than 10 years of experience in managing operations in the residential, commercial, and renewable energy sectors. Before joining Infinity, Michael held the East Coast Regional Operations Manager position within SunEd, where he successfully managed the development, execution, and installation of more than 50 megawatts in New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Maryland, and Georgia. He also held the position of Director of Construction at ProTech Energy Solutions for two and a half years. During this time, he oversaw the project management and construction staff of 20 while they successfully installed and interconnected over 120 megawatts of commercial and utility projects throughout the East Coast. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Benoit. Excited to be on. Thank you for being on the podcast. I gave a brief description about Infinity. Can you tell us more about Infinity? Sure. Infinity Energy Services uh, really focused on uh, development and origination of opportunities with the ability to bring value add through our in-house engineering and EPC operations execution abilities. We've been in business now. We're in our fifth year. I joined in the beginning of 2018, so about two years, and came on as partner and president, really with a focus on trying to refine the strategy and further develop the path forward for Infinity Energy. And congratulations on that promotion. I think it's been, what, a year now that you've been president? Yeah, so it's been about a year. I have two great partners, and after a year of the three of us working together, there was uh, just the thought that they felt I should be the one to take the bullets, I so to, you know, <laughs> I suppose. But uh, no, it's been great, and uh, it's great having two partners that you can rely on and, and also having a great team that you can mold and try to formulate a successful team. Definitely, and can you talk about how you got to Infinity? Obviously, you were at Sun Edison and ProTech. You have a lot of experience in solar. I remember when you first started at Infinity, we met at the Boston conference that February when you first sure. joined. It was one or two in the morning right. at the hotel lobby bar with uh, Luke right. and the other people from Infinity. It certainly wasn't warm out either. <laughs> yes, definitely not. <laughs> right. It's been a great path. I started eight or nine years ago at Sun Edison, really managing a portfolio of projects on the East Coast and ultimately having responsibility for the P&L and capital commitment requests. So that was a tremendous experience. I don't know, and I'm trying to replicate some of that here, but I don't know that I have 
prior to that worked with really a better team and just a talented group of professionals within the industry. Yes. I think that's evident now as you see, you know, in the <laughs> posts on Edison world, there's a number of folks who were colleagues and peers that are now leading their own shops, whether it be in finance or development or EPC and other arenas within the industry. So that was fantastic. And it was a tremendous learning experience for me. I had Prior to that, really my background was high-level project management and managing teams and executing projects on time and on budget. And so getting to Sun Edison and transitioning into the renewable sector was a bit of a transition in terms of learning the widget, so to speak, at the end of the process. But the process is the same nonetheless. And then from there, I had a great opportunity as well to work with a great team of folks over at ProTech Energy Solutions. A little bit different. We weren't necessarily the financier or the IPP, so to speak. We were more on the EPC side. And They've had a tremendously successful transition to developer. I'm happy to say that I feel I was a, a part of that as well. And most importantly, the experience between both of those has just really led to a great network of colleagues and peers and separately, tremendously broad array of experience on project types from commercial CNI, small commercial CNI, net metered projects to large utility scale. It's pretty interesting to hear your story and it's amazing to me how many Sun Edison alumni have become extremely successful and then really the connection with the Sun Edison network, right? There's that connection because you're a Sun Edison alumni, it seems like there's this sort of thing, hey, you guys were the most talented people in the solar industry. It seems like Sun Edison people still work together today, which is amazing to see. No question. And I appreciate hearing that from you and from others. I think that you hit the nail on the head. There was a tremendous sense of camaraderie at Sun Edison, even as large as we became and as spread out across the country as we were. And today, Many of the people and the folks that we still do business with, and actually if I had statistics in front of me, which I do not, I would say that a large proportion of them are folks from SunEd in some way or shape or manner. Definitely, and it's interesting. On the podcast, we've actually interviewed Steve Rader, who's the CEO and founder sure. of Summit Ridge Partners, and he's also a Sun Edison alumni. And it's fantastic to see the success they're having at Summit Ridge. It's, yeah, definitely. It's just, uh, it's fantastic. It's amazing to see their growth, and I could relate to it as well because I'm a Solar City. Tesla alumni, and it's amazing to see too how many people that I worked with who become really successful in the industry start their own companies. And there's also still that closeness. We have that same camaraderie, and we always felt that we were the smartest people in the room as well. There's always that competitive. There's probably some first solar people who felt the same, and probably some energy <laughs> folks yes. who felt the same. It seemed like every pitch that everyone went on, it was the same four groups same of, four of group. folks that were competing for work. But I think that's absolutely right. And I think that the reality of the matter is, is that. Some of the groups that we just mentioned that people have splintered off now and started their own shops and landed elsewhere, I think that the talent was irrefutable within the room at any of those organizations and within the industry. And I think that what I try to do is take the experiences there and the experiences at ProTech, build upon those, and also improve them, right? And improve where I see that we could have done better or we weren't doing well enough. And that's sort of what drives me daily, is drawing on that experience and passing that on to some of the team members that I have here. Some of the folks are from those other groups, and some are not. Some are newer into the industry. And I try to lead them in a way and say, this is how we did it prior. This was successful. Or say, this is how we did it prior, and we need to pivot because uh, it sure. was not successful. That's really interesting, too, because I've taken, as well with my own company, things that I've learned from all my other experiences as well. Tesla Solar City, I did incorporate a lot of the things that sure. I agreed with from how we do things in a cultural perspective. And I'm very familiar actually with ProTech 
because I used to work at Vanguard Energy Partners right. and ProTech as well as in Branchburg. And if you're not familiar with ProTech, they've done a lot of New Jersey installations. One of the partners of Vanguard actually moved to ProTech. It's interesting how it's six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon, but we'll find someone in the solar industry. It's like two degrees. Everyone kind of knows everyone, even though this industry is like growing exponentially. It's still a very small industry, everyone. I agree completely. I say that all the time, is that as rapidly as the industry is growing, it still feels small, like a small fraternity in a sense. Right? Definitely. And there's, it's not difficult if you come across somebody new that you haven't interacted or done business with previously to have someone in your network that has. It still is very intertwined in that sense. Definitely. And what's been amazing for me to watch is like how Infinity has grown a lot. I knew about Infinity before, and then obviously when you joined, and it's impressive to me in a very short time I appreciate that. that you've grown so quickly. Can you talk about how Infinity is different from other companies out there? I think you guys are unique in the sense of, you, obviously you're an EPC, but then you also are financing projects, and you also are using your own money to finance, and then you have like a partner that you work with as well. Sure. So it'd be great I think, for people to understand. And then also to talk about, too, what markets you're focused on. I know we've talked about that in the past. Yeah, and I appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. Sometimes when you're so close to it, you don't necessarily take a moment to step back and see the strides you've already made because you're focused on the strides you still want to make. Definitely. So I, I appreciate hearing that from you. But I think what I would say about Infinity and the focus and the vision that we have is that since I was asked by my partners to sort of lead the strategy and drive us into the coming years, I think the reality is that we wanted to remain nimble and flexible. And so my background, having been so heavily on the operations side, we do have that EPC services and installation services is part of our business, but we also know that one of my partners is a real estate developer and was not in the solar space or renewable space previously, but we did want to go into the development side. That's part of the business that appeals to us, and we think that we can do it, especially if you look back to the timing about two years ago when there was legislation and program rolling out for community solar in New Jersey. Specifically, we thought that it was a nice fit with us being local. So for us currently, if I step back a moment, we're really northeast through Maryland, Virginia sort of shop. So we're active in Massachusetts, Connecticut, New New Jersey, Maryland, Virginia. We have some things going on at a very early stage in Pennsylvania. We have some things that we're still working through in Massachusetts, but really a Northeast and Mid-Atlantic shop. And I think that to your other question, or your first question, I think, what is different about Infinity? Number one, I would say that in the origination efforts that our team moves forward with, from a CNI or municipal standpoint or perspective, PPAs are what really drive the business and what we focus on. But what we've done also, and we have some folks who have come from other shops who have not been necessarily PPA-driven, but operational lease or other forms of financing, we typically approach in a sort of a consulting manner to the potential client. And we have no qualms about showing the model in each of those arenas and allowing the customer to really make a decision on how they would prefer to go forward. Now, we know going in to many of these that some of the customers are going to want a PPA right off the bat. Some of the other customers that we're speaking with, they may not know yet, and they may not be aware of the different financing structures that are out there. And we've made the decision that deploying renewables is more important than having a single lane to drive in, so to speak. Definitely. And so that's been really the way that we've directed and I've directed the origination staff to move forward. Sure, that's great to know. And I think key point that you mentioned is that you guys are actually developing projects, which is an important aspect of it as well. And 
I've also seen with working with you as well that you're basically customizing solutions that add the most value for the customer, whereas other parties will try to push a solution, which might not necessarily be a good fit. Not everyone wants to do a power purchase agreement, but you guys are flexible and have the expertise where you're basically trying to create a customized solution. It seems like, too, you like to take projects that are not the easiest to develop, that have a lot of hair on them. I know you guys have done a lot of land Phil mm-hmm. projects as well, which I'm pretty familiar with, and it's interesting to see your approach. No, I appreciate that, and I think, you, again, you hit the nail on the head a bit. It's One of my partners would say that if anybody wants solar or renewables, then we'll figure out a way to do it. That's number one. And so that's been sort of the mindset. And we know that the reality is that in the space that financiers don't necessarily want to hear that. Certain <laughs> yeah. groups don't. We, there's some rigidity with the way that we look through a lens in this industry. That's a great point. We don't necessarily have that mindset. We understand that. But we like to be able to bring creative solutions to folks who want to move forward with potential projects and opportunities. And then on the development side and the landfill front, so my previous experience at, at Sun and Protec has taken me down the road of some projects that were developed by others, and we had to deploy projects through you know engineering and finish out some of the development functions to get the projects built. And so when the New Jersey program was rolling out, and we knew that there would be a preference or preferential, seemingly a preferential desire for brownfields and landfills, that was something that we jumped right into. Definitely. And you know what I was thinking about too? Obviously, your two partners in Infinity have a real estate development background. As you mentioned, obviously, you're one of the partners. Also, Luke, as well, from Sun Edison on the engineering side. I thought that's an important as well to see that. To talk about that is how has their background in real estate development help complement because I think like having you and Luke with your solar expertise and them having a real estate development background also makes you guys unique as well because you don't look at things purely from the solar angle and I feel like real estate developers it's a lot easier for them to then develop solar it's almost like add-on sure Sure. In a certain sense. I would say that's correct. I would also say that there are some moments or portions where it can also be a detriment sometimes and just not necessarily understanding the nuance of so. And that's where I feel it's my responsibility within our executive team to make sure that I'm bridging that gap, so to speak. Right. But I think you're exactly right. So you had alluded earlier to some of the projects that we'll develop and move forward with off balance sheet. And many of those have been smaller, non-investment grade, non-profit type opportunities. And that has really been a driving force between my partner who has that real estate background and has the background in commercial development and ownership of commercial properties. And so when you have that experience, absent, take, I shouldn't say absent, but take aside your, your renewable knowledge, just look at it from a commercial real estate transaction, there is certainly a different lens that allows you to get much more comfortable with the perceived risk of that customer or off taker. And there's ways that commercial real estate developers and owners would mitigate risk normally in a non-renewable project environment. We've wrapped some of that into our renewable contracting, whether it be PPAs or other formats. And so I think that that blend has worked out nicely for us. Now, we understand that's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but we found that it's worked nicely for some of the projects that we have. Definitely, that's interesting because that kind of segues to another question that I had, which was pretty amazing that you guys obviously finance nonprofits through a PPA, which is extremely challenging. And then obviously commercial industrial customers that are not rated 
which is hard to get PPAs because people are looking for the perfect customer. But if you're comfortable with the risk and understand it, it shouldn't actually be as complicated as some other finance entities make it to get a PPA. So I think that as well is a huge differentiator because there's a huge market that is underserved because of that. I agree again. And I think that segment of the market is proportionally going to increase, right? As the Amazons and the Walmarts and the Targets and the big retail and Fortune 500 companies sort of either have deployed renewables already, that target will go away some. And you're going to be left with the borderline investment grade or non-investment grade CNI space and nonprofit type organizations. You'll always have municipalities, obviously, right? But there's their own complexities there with RFPs and such, which is another story. But I think that it is imperative for the industry and for the success of my company to figure out manners by which we can deploy solar to those clients and those customers. The difficulty has been the financing, right? And two main parts of that financing is just one, the creditworthiness of that offtake. And secondarily, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but secondarily is just really, when you look at them, other than the creditworthiness is just really having a creative mind in how you actually mitigate the perceived risk. So you're not going to deploy projects for that type of segment at the same returns you need or you would want when you have Target and and Walmart. So that's number one. Number two is those groups need or would like to go renewable and shave their operating expenses through utility reductions as much or more than some of the large groups. And so there's such an appetite for it. It's really just become a manner of, it's not even a sales pitch when you're in there speaking with these people. It's very much just an educational process and explaining, here's how the project would come together and here's what the complexity may be. We like the project on the forefront, but we still will have some complexity in figuring out a way to get this financed. So what we've done is we've worked with a couple of boutique shops and you know there's private equity out there and there's some other groups. And then there's a few that we'll take on balance sheet as well. And we try to mitigate risk through various means. We go through an underwriting process and then occasionally if you have to get a personal guarantee or you have to get some sort of collateralization in some other means, whether it be the real estate, again, back to the real estate. So having a real estate development partner who understands the value of land and the value of buildings, especially in our market here in New Jersey, that certainly helps when you can go in and have the discussion. And again, the appetite from that customer is such that they're comfortable that their business isn't going anywhere. (laughs) They're comfortable that they're going to pay their electric bill, right? And then because that level of comfort, because of that confidence that they're going to remain in business and continue to pay their electric bills, there sometimes it's not as hard of a discussion to collateralize their building or their assets or their land. And as a real estate development background, my partner will look at it and assess it and say that this is certainly has value that will allow us to go forward and either finance it off balance sheet or, or find a partner who would see the value there. Sure. And I think another key point that you m- mentioned is companies are looking anyway to reduce their operating expenses. So a power purchase agreement, a PPA, is a great way because it's basically a long-term energy contract And it's usually some sort of discount to what you're currently paying. And most businesses and companies, one of their major expenses are the energy costs. So there's a huge need for it. It's just really educating the customer and them understanding that's right the and, opportunity and, and the reality is is that occasionally right especially in a market like New Jersey where an SREC market where we had one point six seven hundred dollar SRECs years back and then it crashed so there is still sometimes there is a stigma associated and it may just be that the customer you're dealing with knew somebody who had a deal that went south so on and so forth so that's the one other hurdle I would say in, in the education process is sort of explaining how the industry as a whole has matured since then and and how you can number one a power purchase agreement that doesn't matter to them anyway 
right? It, it's not their risk. It's, it's not their it's risk. It's our risk yes. or our investor's risk. But separately, what I was going to say is that going back to the beginning where we sort of take a consulting approach to it, there are some customers who actually wind up realizing through discussions with their CPAs that they have tax burden and they're sort of tax efficient within their own structure and their normal day-to-day operations. And then they say, I sort of like the model where I own this and the return. And then it becomes, again, another educational process and explaining to them how to mitigate the risk as an owner and what the risks are, right? You're going to have to maintain this. There's going to be the energy production is going to be predicated on your maintenance of the facility and making sure that, again, the SREC market and how you can hedge your bets there and locking forward contracts, so on and so forth. But we like that approach. We like sitting and speaking with customers and educating them about renewables in general. We feel it's a win, not only for us, but the industry as a whole. Even if they don't move forward with us and they wind up going with another group, perhaps they go with a group that's been around 10 years instead of five. These things happen we still feel as though we've done our job in getting our message across. Definitely, and it sounds like it's a consultative sales. I know Mike will spend a lot of time with the customer explaining to them all the intricacies of solar, the incentives, the financing, obviously the investment tax, credit accelerated depreciation. We enjoy that piece of it, and I specifically do, because again, if you go back to when I first got to Sun Edison, not having a background in renewables and not having a background in energy, really more of an operational project management P&L background, I asked thousands of questions, and it goes back to the talent of that team and being able to learn on the fly and quickly. And so I like being able to take what I've learned and the conversations that I have with people in the industry and being able to then share that with others, whether they're customers or, or not. Definitely. I mean, it's all about adding value and people see that. When you meet Michael, which I love, you're very transparent and honest and to the point. So I'm sure I know that you like to do business like that. Can you talk about why that's important? And, and that's a very important quality that I look for with my own business, with the people that work for me and customers and clients that we have as well. It's really the only way that I know. And I think that if I was laying on a couch somewhere in a psychologist's office (laughs) and they hearken back to some of my mentors early in my young professional career, and it was probably a little bit adopted from the way that they conducted business as well, what I would say is that to me, time is so limited for everybody, not just the president of a company or someone who's an employee of a company. Everyone's time is so limited to themselves and what they have to do day to day. And for me, when you operate or conduct business transparently and openly, there's so much time that you can save, right? Instead of going into a discussion or a negotiation or a sales pitch or anything, a teaming agreement, whatever it may be, you're going to have your goals that you'd like to achieve and whoever you're speaking with is going to have their goals or their desires. But often I see that there's just so much time wasted in expressing those goals and those desires that to me it's always been sort of fundamental and elementary to me to say, Okay, well, we both have a desire to potentially do business together, right? Whether it's customer and service provider or partner and partner, whatever the relationship may be. Let's just put it on the table from moment one and it works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, you can figure out how to bridge that gap quickly, hopefully, or perhaps sometimes it doesn't work and you've saved that much more time as well. So that's true. That's a great point. That's number one. Number two is my relationships and reputation are just really the most important thing to me. I wouldn't be in renewables if it wasn't for the relationships I made outside of the renewable space. I had a former mentor that entered the space at SunEd, and he called me a year later because of the fact that we were very close, and he respected what I did, and I respected working for him, and that's what led me into the space. So I just like to continue to conduct myself that way. You're going to have to, beyond business, it's just human interaction, right? It's people, and you don't want to ever be perceived as somebody who 
is not forthright or untrustworthy. That's just not in my composition. Definitely. I think these are all amazing points. And I think, too, being more transparent, people understand you. And then everyone's different and things totally different. So if you're open and honest, it just sure. makes everything a lot easier. Sometimes you conduct yourself in that manner and they sort of raise their eyebrow and look at you because they think you're being dishonest when it's, yeah, yeah. because they're just not but accustomed to it. It's kind of crazy so. because people are not used to it. Some people say to me, sure. I can't believe you're so transparent and honest. And I'm like, I really don't have the time right. to waste. Right. Like I just want to be clear and direct so that you understand where I'm coming from. And people are surprised. They're like, this is so refreshing. I'm, I'm like thinking, this is common sense. <laughs> I agree, I agree. So it's interesting, especially in the solar industry, even though it's become more established, it's still almost like the wild, wild west. There's just so many people and a lot of people who are not are saying big things or not being totally transparent with what they're doing. Fortunately, I have not had that experience yet, to be honest. I know yeah. that that's out there, but I I think that we've really picked a strong group of partners and folks that we work with pretty routinely. I hope that by me setting that example within my office and in any interaction I have with anyone across the table, that that, even if that's typically not how they would do business, that it leads them to do to it do that business. way. And at the end of the day, people are watching your actions and leading by example is, sure. is the best way. So that's great. Totally switch topics. I know you guys are very active, obviously, in New Jersey and community solar. Can you talk about the community solar pilot in New Jersey? Sure. We're excited. We wish that the program was larger. We wish that there was some of the parameters within the program that may provide some difficulties with financing weren't necessarily there. But I think that it's a great step forward. I think that the current administration and the BPU have done a nice job of actually, shockingly and surprisingly, the program really rolled out pretty much on time. And I think definitely that it was, that was surprising. It was, right? I mean, it typically isn't that case. No, anybody, definitely not. Anybody in Massachusetts can tell you that. <laughs> yes. right? The Massachusetts market was shut down almost for a year and a half or two years sure. for moving from the SREC to SMART program. That is what Michael's talking about. Also, if you're not familiar with the New Jersey Community Solar, it's basically a pilot for seven 75 megawatts per year for three years, but I'm hearing potentially that they might accept more projects than the 75 megawatts that they said. Obviously, that's relatively small. Yes, it's a small pilot, right? But I think that what they did, and going back to them being on time, I think it was smart in the manner of which they rolled it out. You know, attended some of the stakeholder meetings. You talked to people within the, the industry and within the market here in the, in the state. Called a pilot program, right? Which essentially that's comes true. out and says, this is not written in stone yet. We're going to have a three-year runway to try and figure out what a program beyond this may look like and how we can shape and form it so that it works for everybody. So hopefully that is still the mindset and continues to progress forward. Yes, we were excited in a week or so ago, early September, was the window closing for the first application period. Us with a development partner, I think we've submitted a number of projects and we're optimistic that some of those will be projects that score highly enough on the BPU's radar and scale to hopefully get us something in here in the first pilot year. Certainly we have more stuff for pilot year two as well. But it'll be interesting to see how it rolls out. There's been some, and it was expected, most of the programs roll out this way, but there was certainly more than 75 megawatts Definitely. submitted. That's what I heard right? as well, and a lot more than 75 megawatts sure. were applied. And I think that being an optimist, or trying to be an optimist typically, right? I think that instead of looking at that pessimistically and saying, oh man, it's oversubscribed, this is going to be really difficult, tough road to hoe, I look at it and say, well, you know what? Perhaps now the state and the folks driving the program will see that the appetite is there, even though we've been saying it. That's true. They'll see the appetite is there. They'll see that that means the investment dollars will come into the state and into the market, and perhaps that helps 
push it to a larger program and more quickly than maybe what it would have been. Definitely and create jobs. New Jersey has a very robust solar industry. New Jersey has been very pro-solar and it's I think the fifth state for solar in the U.S. People are pretty surprised to hear that. The reason is New Jersey has a high state level incentive called the SHREC, the Solar Renewable Energy Credit, that represents one megawatt hour of solar energy. The price is approximately, I guess right now, around 230 per megawatt hour. So to give you an idea, from a kilowatt hour basis, it's 23 cents. Maybe a commercial customer pays between 10 to 13 cents per kilowatt hour for their electricity. So it's almost double what they have. And then obviously high electricity costs as well you have in New Jersey. Sure. And anyone who's spent any time here knows how densely populated we are with with people (laughs) working and living, right? So it's a fantastic market, and we hope that it continues to remain that way. We think that... As I alluded to a moment ago, we think that the current administration is at least saying and taking the preliminary steps to keep it that way. I think that what we definitely would like to avoid, as you mentioned, SRACs, right? And we're currently in a a bit of a transition period as we get ready to, I say we get ready to hit the 5.1% RPS from the original legislation from years back, but the runway on that still is a bit of a moving target from time to time. We thought it may be last year, and now we're saying this year. Great point. Um, but the BPU, I think, has done a, a decent job there as well in having foresight to know that we need to avoid a boom-bust cycle. And if we hit that 5.1 and we don't have a, a runway for a transition program or a successor program, you know, you can sort of go off of a cliff. And you just mentioned jobs in the industry within New Jersey are, are it's not something to sneeze at. It's a pretty substantial part of the economy here and has become that over the years that the market has matured. And so we'd like to continue to see that. Now, that being said, we don't necessarily think that it has has to be peaks and valleys. And we're hoping that as they talk about the transitional rec that's out and then eventually a successor program, that that will give us the runway and the ability to avoid that boom-bust cycle and have some sustainable growth over the long haul. Basically, when solar reaches 5.1% in New Jersey, the ESHREC program will sunset. And basically, there'll be a transition program that they're still... I guess finalizing the details, but it's a reduced sort of rec value. Then I guess they're going to then transition to a, more of a fixed incentive than a rec after that. And sure. Obviously, they had a, they commissioned a study, study and, yes. and there's a ton of data in there. And I don't want to say the validity, but the some folks believe that the data is correct. Some folks say that it wasn't exactly on point and that there's somewhere in between. But the short version is that as that study was commissioned and rolled out, now what will happen is just a number of meetings over the coming months to try and mold this ball of clay and the ball of clay being this transitional program to figure out what makes the best, what fits the best for everybody. Definitely. And another point that you mentioned about how really New Jersey's and specifically the New Jersey the BPU is trying not to have a boom bust. And if you're not familiar, the SREC market did crash in New Jersey because there was a 1603 Arrera grant, which was a cash grant. And a lot of solar was built during that time. There was also a decrease in the cost of insulation and panels and efficiency. So what ended up happening was there was a huge oversupply of projects being built. So then basically New Jersey creates the compliance obligation and then it became extremely oversupplied, and then prices dropped around $65 to $70 in ESHREC. New Jersey then, Governor Chris Christie, signed the Energy Master Plan in 2012 to basically fix the oversupply scenario, and then it 
led to ESHREC prices being increased and being able to finance projects. So that's what Mike's referring to with no, the boom great, bus. Great recap. And I think that experience coupled with some of the stuff you see in neighboring states, right, Massachusetts, that's and true Maryland too. and others, I think that there's enough bright folks that are looking at that with their eyes as well as consultants and with the industry and folks who are stakeholders from the industry, from the renewable and the solar industry. I have confidence that they will avoid that this time around and, and come up with something that is Mutually beneficial for all stakeholders, for, rate payers as well as solar developers and everybody in entirety. Definitely, these are great points. And then to transition to a different point too is the Solar Maverick podcast is also about entrepreneurship. Can you talk about your suggestions for being an entrepreneur? Obviously, you became a partner at Infinity and the transition that has been for you. I know we've had conversations offline about it. It'd sure. be great to get your perspective. Absolutely. I would say drink a lot of coffee, but I don't drink coffee. So <laughs> me either say, as well, actually. I have, I have three young children that keep me up uh, and wired throughout the day. But what I would say is that for me, when I worked for other companies, large corporations or a private group, in the roles that I was in, I always, and this is me speaking just my own perspective, I always treated everyone's money, corporate or private entity, as if it was my own anyway. And I had to, that's just my mindset as a project manager background. So that piece of it has transitioned, obviously, seamlessly into business ownership. What I wasn't necessarily prepared for are all of the things that that come along with it that you don't necessarily see when you're an employee at an organization, right? So some of the, call it the red tape and just trying to get things in place as far as dealing with your insurance agents and your accountants and all of the other, the team of folks that you need to run a successful business. Fortunately, my partners have been in business previously, and so they've shepherded that through in the early stages. I think the other key component would be that as you grow a team, and I say this to everybody that I've ever interviewed or anyone that I've ever asked to join that I've known and worked with previously, it isn't only about whether they're right for my company. It is my company right for them. Yes. Because turnover, to me, will be as detrimental as not having someone fill the role, and maybe even more so, because you don't get any continuity within your organization. You don't get any continuity within process. You don't get any continuity within sometimes overstated or felt to be overstated within corporations in America, right? But culture, even in a small group like ours, I think it's important that you have a staff that wants to come to work and that enjoys coming to work and knows that they can rely on the person that's next to them to help get through things. So I would say that those are the two main focuses that have been augmented in having a company now. Definitely. I think that that point about people is such a huge part of it and a very complicated aspect of it to find the right person for your company and to create an environment where they enjoy coming to work and adding value and they feel appreciated. Because I know for me as well, like we're trying to find the best candidates, have the best people. Also, too, like the amount of time to train someone. Absolutely. And then they leave. And the time that it takes, and obviously everyone's time is limited. No question. So it's really something as well that I've had to learn how to do and make sure that my employees are feeling like they're challenged, that they're growing. So I'm always even prioritizing that because I know as long as they feel like they're appreciated and rewarded, right. that they'll be more loyal. That's right. No one wants to be in a static position, right? Where it's just sort of ho-hum and they don't feel as though there's any, not excitement, but upwards mobility or an ability to have new challenges, learning. It's, it's amazing how you need to focus on your staff and their desire to learn, right? So when we do end of year reviews that we just plan for the next year, and it's just sort of one of the key components for us is, are there any continued education classes, any certification? 
certification, anything out there that you have interest in that you feel would improve what you not only what you do here, but just with your knowledge within the industry. Sure. Right? And we're complete advocates for that. To me, that's an investment in the company, right? If we're investing in the people that stay here. And so that's a focus that we take very seriously. Definitely. That's great to hear that because I think more companies should be more focused on their people than yeah. they do. So fortunately for me, I've always been someone who since graduating school, I have not worked at a place that I did not want to be at. It's my wife tells me that every place I've ever been, I always said I was going to retire at, which is funny because now it's you know, four or five places later. But anytime that I left, it really wasn't out of disdain or not wanting to be there or being unhappy. Yeah. It was just new challenge, new opportunity. Again, a mentor calling me and yeah, saying definitely. that I loved working with and saying, why don't you come join me, which has always been great. And I want to have that experience for folks who work with us and for us. By the way, with this comment that you said, this reminds me of a conversation that we had. Obviously, all these places you said you would never retire from. How did you have that conversation with your wife about going to Infinity and more of a partner and entrepreneur role? Obviously, you have young kids as well. Fortunately, my wife is extremely supportive. I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say that she wasn't concerned initially, right? Because obviously, it was a new endeavor, but she's very supportive. And the approach really was more wasn't asking permission, but it was asking for her opinion and guidance and what she felt. And she's known, we've been together for 20 years, married for 10, which yeah, you is You guys crazy. are high school sweethearts. We are. Right? I remember. We are. So <laughs> we, it lends itself towards my, my mindset that I was going to work at one company for 50 years, yes. right? So I'm not, I'm not one for change very much if you look at the way uh, my marriage went. But we had that conversation and she's known since a very young age that I've always had an entrepreneurial mind and it was going to be an itch that I would have to scratch at some point. We didn't know whether it would be my primary career or whether it would be sure. something ancillary to my career working for another company and different space. But when the opportunity came along, and it was with two people that I have long history with from SunEd and Gareth Foles from outside of SunEd prior to that, even in the commercial and residential construction space, she said, it's up to you. She's like, I trust you. And if it's what you would like to do, then let's go and do it. So very fortunate. Yeah, definitely. That's great to have, obviously, family that's supportive. Sure. You know, being an entrepreneur is not easy. It definitely has its ups and downs. It's a roller coaster. So that's great that you have a family that's supportive of you. Yep. And to your point about it, roller coaster, but I will tell you that the highs are much higher definitely. when you're an entrepreneur. I've experienced that. So when you have something that goes well, you get a good contract, you get a project approved, whatever it might be. There's really not much <laughs> like that. That's a great feeling. Yeah, it's amazing to me. I mean, like I mentioned, I don't drink coffee, but I'm so excited. I, first of all, it was always high energy, mm -hmm. but being an entrepreneur, like the energy is just even at another level. I mean, obviously the highs are higher, the lows are lower, but I'm doing what I'm passionate about right. and you control your destiny. Mm -hmm. So I just believe that it adds more energy. And you're one of the most energetic people I know in the sense that we've talked about this previously, but my thoughts being, how do you prioritize? You got five or six different things going on at any given moment. And how do you prioritize those different endeavors and businesses that you're involved with? It's impressive. That's definitely not easy to handle. I think in the beginning, it was extremely overwhelming because there's just so many things that are coming at me all the time, which sure. I'm sure you're used to as well. But what I do actually is the night before I go to sleep, I say what three things are the most important things that I need to do tomorrow that will move the needle the most. And everything else I Great kind strategy. of ignore. Mm -hmm. And that's been really helpful because you always have to think strategically. I feel like, too, in this world where... People could reach out to you all the time. I mean, I'm inundated, and I'm sure you are with phone calls, emails, texts, all through the day, all through the night. 
And so I turn off a lot of things. And then I think I've spoken about this before. I try to get up very early in the right. morning before I try to get deep work done that I think will impact things. And actually, I try to play catch up too on the weekends, usually Saturday and Sunday are more quiet. Right. I'm not getting inundated by people so yep. as I, much I, that I, I'm I, able I, to. It's always interesting to hear everyone's strategy because everyone has their own methodology. <laughs> methodology. How, right. So I'm the same, right? Early in the morning. Now, again, and with the children, right, they're, they're up earlier and earlier. So it's actually become, for me, I've had to pivot my process a little bit. It's become a little bit more later and later at night because that's when they're sleeping. Yeah. Right. So that's when I have the ability to really have very little distraction. And same thing, right? Weekends early in the morning, you try and catch up and get things done that either you didn't have a chance to yet during the week or that you're getting ahead of for the week. For the week. And then another thing too that I found is very important is sleep. Mm-hmm. So I try to have a consistent sleep schedule. It's challenging at times. But I think that helps as well because I've gotten burned out with not sleeping enough. No question. And then it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Got to recharge. Recharging is important. Also for me to exercise as well. Mm -hmm. It's almost too like running a business is almost like being a professional athlete. And I'm running from place to place doing a lot of things. So that helps with energy levels too. And another thing that I've also been starting to do is meditation in the morning. Interesting. Which has helped me. I've heard that from a number of people that i friends with personally and professionally. Which has helped me. Like I use the Headspace app and that's actually the first thing I do in the morning. It was crazy to me actually like... So I started meditating three minutes a day. Just my mind, there was like so many thoughts coming. Now I'm able to meditate for 10 minutes with no problem. And clear. And clear. And what's amazing too is like it made me less anxious. So in the morning I would feel like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. But now I'm able to like focus and concentrate. So I was having a conversation with someone we both know, Will, right? And, And we were talking about this a little bit. He does meditate as well. We were talking about it. And the one thing that I said is I don't know if I can actually clear my mind. Just it feels like there's always a thousand things yeah. going on, right? And he's similar to what you're saying that the more you do it, the more that you're able to actually clear your head and get some free time. I haven't done it before. Oh, yeah. I think we actually had this conversation too in Philadelphia right? when me, you, and Will met. Yeah, I think that's right. For I drinks. think that's right. So that's pretty interesting that Will's, it's really helped. I use the Headspace app, right. which has been really helpful to do that. And then, yeah, just living in the present. And just trying to focus on that day and not thinking too much about the past and the future. Because if I looked at my schedule, like even on a weekly basis, I'd be like, how am I going to do this? You know what I mean? That's kind of how I've been able to do it. And obviously, it's a work in progress. I'm learning and getting better at it. Do you have one that you're more passionate over between the podcast and then your (laughs) aspect brokerage services and your development? I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm curious if there would be one. Or do you but I'm more passionate about. That's hard. I've been in now in the solar space, which is crazy. We've both have been in the industry for over 10 years. And you're like a dinosaur. Right. Because in other industries, it's 40 to 50 years. But 10 years in the solar industry, I'm so passionate about it. But really, like the podcast has got me really excited. And to be able to influence and add value in a positive way and that you're making a difference. And it's a relatively new platform that we've been doing since the middle of November of mm-hmm. last year and to see how popular it's gotten and the great That's feedback. Great. I appreciate Infinity sponsoring the podcast, listening to podcasts. I know Nick from Infinity reaches out to me when he listens to certain episodes. He walks around the office like, ah, did you hear Solar Maverick? He's like, you got to go on, got to go listen. <laughs> so he makes sure that everyone's listening. It's great content and it's great to hear from people throughout the industry and just their stories and what they're working on and how they got to 
where they're at currently, and it's always interesting. Yeah, and I learned, too, from these conversations as well, and it's interesting, too, hearing their stories, because on a business basis, we don't really maybe talk about some of these things, so it's just interesting to hear. Everyone's path is different, right? Yeah, definitely. We're all the same, but they're different. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Well, this has been an amazing interview, Michael. I really appreciate your time today. If anyone wants to learn more about Infinity, what's the best way to find more information? Yeah, about- we can go to uh, infinityenergyservices.net. You can always reach out to me directly. I'm one of those guys. We talk about meditation, but I, don't, <laughs> I haven't learned to turn off yet. So, you know, I'll, I'll be the guy that if you're on the West Coast and you ping me and it's, you know, 1 a.m., I'm probably answering the phone. <laughs> right? So I appreciate it, Benoit, and it's been great. I've enjoyed listening to it over the year and, and now having an opportunity to sit down and just tell you a little bit about my story. I think uh, I appreciate the platform. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting because Mike was hesitant to do the podcast, but it's amazing. Like he, as I told him, even before he did the podcast, you would be a natural. It's just getting I'll take a- your word for that. Anyone who, <laughs> anyone who knows me wouldn't exactly call me shy, but when you said you're going to be on the podcast, all of a sudden I became a clam. So <laughs> yeah. it took a little bit of convincing because of the respect I have for you and the relationship and the friendship that we've garnered. I couldn't say no. Definitely, I appreciate, it. and I think like our listeners, which we call Mavericks are going to love your story and the content that you provided and the value that you're providing to the industry. So thank you. No, thank you. Great. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and leave us a five-star review. That helps us build this community. And that's what we're all about right now building this community as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can.